Wow, that was exquisite, ladies. Peter disowns Jesus. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, he said, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway, where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath, I don't know the man. After a while, those standing there went to up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Well, we all do our best in life, being nice to people, coming to chapel, having a spiritual practice, being aware of our impact. And we can take responsibility when life seems to throw us a curved ball, you know, when we get ill, or in some way when the universe is less than kind to us, you know, we've learned to take responsibility, to not be at the effect of what's coming down the tubes at us, but rather to see it as an opportunity to transform our pain rather than transmit it. We can even be quite righteous about it. Yes, this is painful, but I'm doing my part for the evolution by transforming my consciousness, even in the face that of that pain that's coming my way. So we can do all that stuff. But what about those unforced errors that we commit? Things that are most definitely our fault. I, I went to the thrift store the other day to drop off some clothes. You always feel about pretty good about going to the thrift store uh, in that way, you know. Even if you're just clearing out your house, you know, to give things to the thrift stores always makes you feel good. And I, I went to, I hailed the people that were working there in the sorting area. I had a good chat with Fonda Peters, uh, Patterson and I had a really good, you know, experience of bon ami. And then I got back in the car in that narrow lane behind the thrift store. You know what I'm talking about? And I was about to drive off when I saw in front of me a van that had parked so that no one could get through. Or could they? There was a narrow gap <laughs> that my car could just about get through. So I drove slowly ahead, making sure that I didn't touch the van. Not quite slowly enough. For while looking carefully at the van, I was alerted by an almighty crunch on the other side of my car as my wing mirror hit a dumpster that I'd failed to properly allow for. Never mind, I thought, the $350 powered side mirror was to supposed to fold <laughs> like it had done 
So I inched forward a bit more, only to see the mirror crumple and fall off as it was dragged from its anchorage by another part of the dumpster. I was mortified. How could I have been so stupid? There was nobody else to blame. It was my fault. There was no way that I could be righteous about it. I called Howard's last chance Garrard and with shame admitted my mistake. But it was really difficult to swallow. You know, here was I, supposedly Mr. Conscious, and I'd done something so stupid and unconscious without any help from the outside world. You know, Peter in that reading must have felt the same way when the cock crowed. He went to the courtyard with the best of intentions in the world. He was going to support Jesus, but then something got the better of him, his fear. And three times he lied so that he wouldn't get into trouble. Once again, a completely unforced error. He wept bitterly. It's how I felt when I saw my wing mirror hanging from the side of the car by a wire. But I didn't cry, I didn't weep bitterly, but I should have done. Why do we do these things and how can we learn from them? I think it's interesting to look at them because likely as not, they come from our point of weakness. And so to be aware of where they might occur, we have to become aware of our own points of weakness. In my case, my point of weakness in that situation was laziness. I just couldn't be bothered to back up and thought I could, well, wing it by driving through sort of carefully. And I, you know, I do that. I can be sloppy and, you know, try and get by and I get caught. I got caught in that circumstances. That's not my only point of weakness. You know, I have a weakness around money. Sometimes I've been known to try and get things things rather than, you know, rather than go through them as I try to get around them. That temptation to be unethical. Emotionally, I'm also weak. Less so nowadays, but years ago I had a tendency to be willing to compromise myself for some sort of emotional release. And I think it's important to know our weaknesses. Because it's around these weaknesses that our unforced errors are likely to occur. They can also come around areas where we're actually very passionate about. Because that very passion can throw up all sorts of temptations to short-circuit ethical behavior in order to get what we want. Look at the college admission scandal. People desperate for their children to do well. So they do anything to help them. And when the chance come along, the chance comes along maybe dressed as a charity, a donation of some sort or whatever, they miss the ethical points and just blunder right in. You know, they wept bitterly afterwards. And the ball sign, you know, the the, uh, baseball sign-stealing scandal, people so passionate about winning desperate to win that they see it as 
no holds barred and go ahead with these labyrinthine plans to work out how to get one over on the other team. And the Boeing scandal, money at the heart of that one with, at the end of it, so many people weeping bitterly. In fact, you could say that all crime was a function of this idea of unforced errors. People doing things in order to satisfy some desire or passion within themselves, thereby creating the potentiality for weakness. And as a result, ending up with much, as the Bible says, weeping and gnashing of teeth. I'm going to talk a little bit more about desire and passion next week. It's one thing to take the pain of others and transform them righteously on behalf of the universe, but it's quite another to deal with our own weaknesses as we see them lead us into behavior that will cause us pain and also cause pain to others. In fact, the word weak comes from the old English word pliant, uh, of little worth, not steadfast, reinforced by the Middle English Germanic base to yield or to give way. Our weaknesses are the place where we're likely to give way. And we therefore have to be acutely aware of them. But because we see these traits in ourselves as being of little worth, we tend to ignore them and we become vulnerable through these weaknesses. They're the seeds of our potential downfall, of addiction, of unethical or even criminal behavior, of betrayal, as in Peter's case, or simply letting others down, having that liability to give way. It's interesting that it's often when we're at our weakest and most vulnerable that the snake enters the garden or an unhealthy relationship presents itself like some rescue from heaven, a seemingly quick way out. But I think in naming these weaknesses rather than ignoring them and hoping they'll go away, by taking responsibility for them, our weaknesses then become our strength. As Paul says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. You know, Paul even had a weakness himself, um, that thorn in his side. He says, therefore, in order for me to become, in order uh, to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Paul is suggesting that in acknowledging our weaknesses and in allowing them to become part of who we are in reliance on the divine spirit or reliance on the universal mind, if we rely on that, our very weaknesses then become our strength. You know, my emotional weakness plagued me for many years. However, in realizing it and in taking responsibility for it, it became the foundational strength of my marriage. It's still there, being present 
for me, in the seemingly inability to cry. I haven't cried for, you know, since I was about 13. Except for shedding the occasional tear in Toy Story 3. <laughs> I, I could just feel it coming down. And I actually did... I watched Love Actually the other day, and the same thing happened. And about a boy, I could sort of shed a tear, so I know it all works in there, you know, when I see these... I, I'm, I'm thinking of developing, watching these Hollywood teary movies. I've got Love Story now waiting for me to see, and Terms of Endearment, just see if I can make it happen. Um, but I know it's a weakness, I'm aware of it. And, 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 you know, I give it over to that great spirit, that universal mind, in order for it to be used as a place of strength. Peter, Peter, his betrayal and the turmoil that it must have sent him into was actually recovered by Jesus. You know, that lovely passage at the end of the Gospels. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, take care of my lambs. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all these things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you, were, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. And in that passage, Jesus reinstates Peter, asking him three times to represent the three times that Peter denied Jesus originally. And as we know, the church was built on the faith of Peter. His transformation was the transformation of so many others. And so our ability, I think, to seek out and to admit to those areas where we are weak is, in fact, an opportunity to find those areas that are the key to the transformation. I love that thing in Japan. You'll see that picture on the service seat of the broken bowl. And they put gold in the places where the break lies, almost like it's the most valuable place where the break has happened. From addiction to sobriety, from cowardice to courage, from corruption to honour, without the understanding of the weakness, the transformation cannot occur, and we're left vulnerable to our own inner selves. But all of that still leaves us weeping bitterly once that weakness has surfaced in some behavior or other. And it's often difficult to get over. We blame ourselves. We regret the action. We have to suffer the consequences, be they financial, custodial, or simply in seeing the pain that we cause to others. And I think the first step along the way is really you know, the first step of that great church of the Americas, the 12-step program. You know, we must admit that we are powerless over alcohol, that our lives have become unmanageable. We have to admit that we're powerless to some extent over those weaknesses. And, you know, the steps go on, you know, they, they tell us how to do it, you know, to come to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity and so on, which is the opening of ourselves up to that universal mind given the weaknesses that we've got. When we make one of those unforced errors, it gives us a chance to see our weaknesses and to deal with them 
hopefully before it causes too much lasting harm, which is why it's important, like in the 12 steps, to make a bit of an inventory, admitting our weakness and being open to have them become places where we can pivot from. We can see our lives as one great unfolding contribution, the evolution of consciousness, but that doesn't mean that we don't have to continue to become aware of those areas of our lives that potentially take us in the wrong direction. Let us not be led into temptation. Yeah, that's what this is about. Because by being led into temptation by our desires, there is the potential for evil. Or to take the exact definition of evil, that which is outside right behavior. All of which comes from a position of lack. The idea that we're not whole as we are that we must have this or that to make us whole. Money, love, acclaim, a fast track of success for our kids, whatever. So that rather than doing our work and stepping back to a place of serenity, as the Tao Te Ching says, to do your work and then step back to that place of serenity, instead we do our work, then we assess whether or not we're actually going to get what we want, And if we think it's going to take more, we put more pressure on, we act and we keep pushing to try and get what we want, taking for ourselves what we see as being lacking. And that sense of lack drives us from a position of weakness. And so it's important to look at our weaknesses, as well as the strong desires that might cause them to develop. Having said that, we also have to look at the fact that it's completely okay to have those weaknesses. It is part of who we are. It is completely part of our makeup. Even to rip off a wing mirror, that's okay too, because in the scheme of things, these unforced errors actually point out the errors of the way that we're living. In fact, you know, the whole point of the law, this whole another sermon in itself, But if you look in the Old Testament, the point of the law is not to point out what's wrong so you get punished. The point of the law is to show us error so we can adjust and become conscious of error. This is the law as a conscious raising process. It is to show us where we're in error so we can make a change. Paul says in Romans, through the law, we become conscious of our error. In other words, when we, something happens, we do something wrong, we become conscious of it, it allows us to make that transformation. And that's why these errors have a place in our lives, and we should not regret or bemoan their appearances. Once we've wept bitterly over them, then we look for the path that they show us, the way forward, the weaknesses they've highlighted, so that our weaknesses can become our strength. That, that fantastic line in Romans 8, all things count for good to those that love the Lord. In other words, all things that happen in our, in our lives have a value. In other words, all things are part of the path that we are all taking towards our evolution into the will of the universal mind that is behind everything. And if we respond to whatever happens with love for ourselves and for those around us, then once again, we're on the path to wholeness. As it was for Peter and for Paul, so it is for us, both individually and collectively. Because when we see others and their failings, it's not for us to judge them. 
For we too have our own different failings. Give them the due respect to their path to wholeness. Respect that path that others have to their wholeness, just as you would want that same respect for your path, in spite of the weaknesses and mistakes that that you might make. Amen. So let's pray. We do pray for our world. We do pray for the many problems and unforced errors that people around the world make, our leaders, difficult situations we get ourselves into on a grand scale, be it wars or paths that we don't know the way back from. And we just pray for that sense of humility in our leaders a sense of being willing to admit when we're wrong, to come back from mistakes. Pray for all those suffering the effects of the outbreak of coronavirus, those families and people who are trapped, had loved ones died or fearful. Pray for those in war zones, unjust regimes, people in prisons, people who are homeless and cold and lonely, people who see no way out. We offer our hearts to them. Pray for our community up and down the valley. We just pray for safety on the mountains. Pray for those working the lifts, the restaurants, the ski patrol, all those working up and down the valley in transport, other areas. Pray for those visiting as well. Also pray for those who we know who are ill. We name them in our hearts. Particularly praying for our friend who's going to be at the art opening, Rita Hunter, with Lou Gehrig's disease, Heather Morrow, Brett McKenzie, David Harrod, Petra Krimmel, Marianne Boltz, Jim Stark, Dorian Holm, Sharon Miners, John and Susan Wampler, Pat Freeman, Laurie Ellis, Christopher Givett, suffering from autoimmune disease. Pray for the friends and family of Greg DeLuke, who died last week. We offer our hearts and our minds to all those people. Ask them that your great spirit will move in their hearts towards wholeness. Amen.